the chariot vision of chapter one, an elaborate description of this chariot, which is composed of ofanim and chayot. These are different types of angels. And this event, this description, is actually, of course, recalled constantly in our liturgy. Because we have, as part of our liturgy, the Kedusha, the sanctification, which is mentioned in more than one place in the liturgy. It appears in the third blessing of the silent prayer. It appears in the blessings which precede the recitation of the Shema. It appears at the end of the service in the prayer that speaks of a future redemption and focuses on the study of Torah, Uvolot Zion Goel. And we have the so-called Kedusha. The Kedusha has essentially two, possibly three parts. And the first two pieces of the Kedusha are recitations of verses. The first from the sixth chapter of Isaiah, and the second from the beginning of the book of Yechezkel in chapter 3. The first is Kadosh, 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 Holy, Holy, Holy. And in that particular vision of Isaiah in chapter 6, which speaks of God's presence, Srafim Omdim Mimalo, there was Srafim. Srafim are a group of angels. They're above Mimalo. In the vision of Yechezkel, which is not holy, 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 the earth is full of God's glory, but rather, blessed is God from God's place. Baruch Kavod Hashem Mimekomo. That's the text that we recite. There are some who suggest that perhaps that text should be read slightly differently. But the way we recite it in our liturgy, Baruch Kavod Hashem Mimekomo, blessed is God Mimekomo, from God's place. So that speaks of God who's in God's place. That speaks of a transcendent God. And that's the sense one gets, of course, in the beginning of the book of Yechezkel, in Yechezkel's vision. It's this fantastic vision of God in God's place. And here I would add that the idea of a chariot, kruvim, the cherubs, the idea of kruvim is essentially that God rides the chariot, which means God is not any one particular place. And that's a very important idea that is deeply connected to the chariot vision. In point of fact, in thinking about the Bible, we have the tabernacle of the book of Exodus, and we have the temple, Solomon's temple. And the difference between the tabernacle and the temple, among other things, is that the temple is in one place. The book of Dvarim speaks about when you come into the land and you have one central place of worship, that you will visit periodically. But there's one central place of worship, the place that God chooses, Hamakom Hashem. Unlike the tabernacle, unlike the Mishkan, the Mishkan accompanies or perhaps leads Israel through the desert, and the Mishkan is not in any one particular place. The people travel with the Mishkan, but when the Mishkan and where the Mishkan moves is entirely up to God. When the cloud ascends from the tabernacle, they would move. The Mishkan moves, and they move. So the Mishkan, the tabernacle, has no particular place. The temple has a specific place. Now, King Solomon, in the Book of Kings, was well aware of the paradox, because Solomon speaks about God not being in a temple or a tabernacle. Solomon speaks of the God who was in heaven. You will hear our prayers 
because for Solomon, the temple is primarily a place of prayer, you will hear our prayers in heaven. Solomon understands that God can't be confined to one place. So the tabernacle actually reflects this idea that God is not in any particular place. God, one might say, is in no particular place, and God may be in every place. So the vision of Yechezkel, in which he sees this amazing chariot vision, presumes that God's presence, as God is present, it can move from place to place. You can't define where God is going to be. And that is something that is very important for the book of Yechezkel. And it relates, I believe, to what I mentioned in the first chapter, that for Yechezkel, the destruction of the temple is not the critical event in the book. And the reason for that, as we will see later in Yechezkel, is that actually, as far as Yechezkel is concerned, the temple was destroyed before it was destroyed. Because Yechezkel relates to us, through a different vision, that God actually left the temple before the temple was physically destroyed. So God can be anywhere. And I would suggest that, in addition to what I mentioned just now, about defocusing on the physical destruction of the temple, because it's not about the physical temple. It also is a way of saying, or emphasizing, that even those people that don't live near the temple, that is to say the exiles, they should not consider themselves second-class citizens. The people who happen to live in Jerusalem, it doesn't mean those people are the central people in terms of the Jewish people, in terms of Jewish life. Quite the opposite. The critical people may well be those in, in exile. And in fact, Yechezkel says, relates, that even in exile, God may be for them present in a kind of temple, a miniature temple, a Mikdash Ma'at. So the initial vision of Yechezkel, this amazing vision in which Yechezkel is in a sense called to prophecy, this has implications for the rest of the book and the, some of the primary themes in the book of Yechezkel. So we have these two prophets. We have Yirmiyahu and Yechezkel. They are two prophets. They prophesy pretty much at the same time, but with different foci, different emphasis, both in terms of the events in history that is central, in terms of their audience, and in terms of their ultimate vision. In the book of Yechezkel, the ultimate vision is actually all about God. And it's interesting in this respect, at the beginning of the second chapter, where God now speaks to Yechezkel, the first verse of chapter 2 is, Vayomer Eli ben Adam amod al-raglecha. And God said to me, Ben Adam, human being, mortal one, stand on your feet, vadaber otcha, and I will speak to you. The expression Ben Adam is one that appears over and over and over again in the book of Yechezkel. I believe it's over a hundred times, many, many times. And I would say that the emphasis on ben Adam, or mortal, is in opposition to what is central to the book. It's not actually a book about ben Adam. It's not actually a book about the person, the human. It's actually a book about God's place in God's world. And the contrast is very significant, is very important. So in chapter 2 now, God is speaking to Yechezkel, Ben Adam, stand up, 
and I will speak to you. And the Spirit says, Yechezkel came in me. As God spoke, and the Spirit lifted me up on my feet. And I heard the one who was speaking to me. And now God begins to speak to Yechezkel. We have this amazing vision. God says to Yechezkel, I am sending you to the people of Israel. Verse number three, Sholeach ani otcha el b'nei Yisrael, el goyim hamordim asher mordu bihema v'avotam. V'avotam pashu bi al etzim hayom hazeh, I'm sending you to a rebellious people, a sinful people. They have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have rebelled against me until this very day. Habonim kshepanim v'chizkelev, and the children are brazen, brazen of face, stubborn of heart. And you will say, Thus says the Lord. But they will not listen to you. They will not stop what they are doing. They are a rebellious people. But they will know that a prophet was in their midst. And this is something very interesting. Again, the book of Jeremiah comes to mind, but there's a difference. God says to Yermiol as well, I'm sending you to these people, and they're not going to listen to you. They're going to resent what you say. That's what God says to Yermiol. And God says a similar thing to Yechezkel. But the difference is, I believe, that in the case of Yermiol, there is always a sense that despite the fact that they're not going to listen, at points, there is a sense in the book of Yirmiyahu that the possibility of return is there. That's something very basic to the book of Yirmiyahu. With all the prophecies of doom, there's a possibility of return. That is very much downplayed in the book of Yechezkel. Very much downplayed. The possibility of return. In fact, you're not going there to cause them to repent because they're not going to repent. They are rebellious. But there's a different reason I send you. They should know that a prophet was in their midst. And this has actually two senses to it in the second chapter. One is that they will know that I exist. They'll understand my position. They're not going to necessarily change their mind. They will know who I am through you. That's one element of the prophet. And the second element, which is picked up later on in great detail, and that is that if the prophet does not admonish them, then the prophet shares the guilt of the people. The prophet is required to rebuke them because if the prophet doesn't make the attempt, even though it will be an ill-fated attempt, but if the prophet does not make the attempt or the statement that they're doing wrong, the prophet will share the guilt of all the others. And that's a theme that Yechezkel comes back to later on, and that's a very important theme in the book of Yechezkel. So these are, this is a difference between these two contemporaries, Yechezkel and Yermiyahu. It is interesting that there's another difference between Yechezkel and Yermiyahu that appears in the very beginning of the books. And that is that when God speaks to Yermiyahu in chapter 1, and God calls Yermiyahu. God 
says to Yirmiyahu, they're not going to listen, but God also emphasizes, I'm going to save you. I'm going to be there to save you, which suggests in the beginning of the book that Yirmiyahu will need saving. He'll be in danger. That sense of danger is not present at all in the book of Yechezkel. Yes, people may resent what he says. Yes, people will not accept what he says. But there's never a sense in the book that he's personally in danger. And that's very much unlike the book of Yirmiyahu. So it's not about danger. It's not about repentance, actually. In the book of Yechezkel, it's about God's presence. You represent me, says God, and the people will know that the prophet was in their midst, and they will know that I am the Lord.